Hello, welcome to the Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 266 for November 12th, 2018. Today's guest is filmmaker Allison Argo, and I am your host, Michael Herron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for 13 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons you can find on the sidebar of the MikeyPod.com website or in the... uh, God, I always say I'm going to figure out the name of that. The thing, the footer. The footer. The footer at MikeyPod.com. The footer. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron, or you can email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be back. It's been a while. I think it's been... It's been a while. That's how this podcast goes. But listen, well, I don't even know where to throw this in. Um, Let me back up. Last time I talked to you, my hand was in a cast, I believe, or I was about to get surgery. The the cast is gone. The hand is fixed, thanks to the Musician Treatment Fund and my friends, the Vegan Moes, who helped me get connected with this surgeon who did the surgery for me. Uh, I told that whole story in the last podcast, so I'll hop on back to episode 265. So the hand is good, and I'm using it, and I can play the piano, and I was able to perform in uh, Boston when I did the animal show there uh, a few weeks ago. Ah, I'm so grateful. I played the piano this morning for some one of my teaching gigs, and I, I'm really just incredibly grateful that this was able to happen. Uh, in, in a nutshell, I didn't have insurance, and my I broke my hand, and it required surgery to fix it, and uh, that was scary. Uh, so Musicians Treatment Fund, amazing. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Barron, who I should get on the podcast I really need to make that happen. I have one more appointment with him, and I'll ask him. I promise. All right, so I went to Patricon uh, last weekend. I- I'm feeling extra announcery today. Uh, it's a little later in the evening than I typically record. It feels like my voice is very uh, announcery. Is there a word for that? So I went to Patricon. It was uh, Patreon, as you know, if you've been a listener to this podcast, is a subscription platform. Independent creators can build, basically build a business around their work. So uh, I have a crew of about 129, 129 patrons. If you've been thinking about it, today might be a good day to sign on so I can have a nice 130 or maybe, uh, I don't know, a thousand of you. I, I was going to try to whip out some math right there. Didn't work. Uh, so Patricon, it was a two-day, actually three-day, including the reception, um, convention of creators. And I did a long blog post about it where I actually described the best, what why it was so meaningful to me. I learned a lot and it was really, really helpful. But the most beautiful thing of all of it was to be surrounded by people who are trying to make a life out of independent creating, which I feel like I'm, I'm closing in on 50 years old and uh, it feels... Uh, typically in day-to-day life, I feel a little, I don't know how to explain this. Maybe I'll explain it in this week's bonus content a little better because I feel like this is a little too that. Uh, this is too that. But uh, the, the the nutshell of it, listen, like everyone I met said, what do you create? Like everyone was asking each other what they made, not about, oh, what's your day job? You know, like we were ve- all very excited about like the various things that we do and there are so many unusual and uh, like odd and, and, and typical things, but everyone was so excited about creating the staff, the people that work at Patreon. I haven't met a single person that didn't make me pumped AF. So it was a great, great weekend. And I had a full 24 hours at least of depression after I came back. 
it's hard to explain. It was very meaningful to me uh, to be there. And just, I, I felt really empowered and encouraged and I feel excited about moving forward, which I, I guess I'll throw out there. I feel like one of the things I'd really like to focus on moving forward is this podcast. Um, I'm putting some things behind the scenes to make it easier for me to uh, schedule guests. I, I do a lot of different things, and and I learned some tools from Patreon um, to get things rolling. So I'm scheduling things a little bit more easily now, and I have a lot of things in the works. So I can. One of the things that slows me down is the back and forth with people trying to schedule interviews when I have a lot of other things going on. So hopefully that's going to be fixed, and I'll be able to just get these things uh, scheduled, and then I can just record the podcast once a week. So I'd really like to nail it down and get really consistent with this show. So that's two podcasts a week, one main podcast and one bonus podcast uh, for patrons. So there it is. Speaking of patrons, I have four new ones. Welcome, Kevin, Jeff, Micah, and Alan. I I never say last names. Maybe I should. I I feel like people, I don't know. I'm a little overdoing it with the privacy, but you never know. So thank you. Thank you, those people that joined. Um, If you're new to what I'm talking about, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about it in a bit. Let me tell you, a thing that I just created, uh, I offered it for two weeks for my patrons on Patreon, (laughs) people who subscribe at $10 or more, are going to be this week getting in the mail this little zine that I made with uh, Luke Curtis from uh, bdstudios.com. It's called About a Bed. It's a groovy little story. It's my second zine, and I'm looking at doing these more regularly. Um, Both of them were stories that I didn't feel like I just wanted to post on the internet because they're about people that I know. (laughs) So they're a little bit on the private side, which is usually okay with me, but the fact that other people who are involved (laughs) in the stories may not want their business on the internet or my business about their business. uh, Yeah, so you get the idea. Uh, So those zines are going out this week if you're a patron. If you're not a patron, consider it. Uh, I'm talking about Patreon a lot today. I'm trying to. I'm also trying to be a little more low key about it because I just went to Patreon. I think that it's going to be a little high key. Anyway, those are all the things. Uh, okay, one last thing. This week's bonus content is going to be a, an additional interview with today's guest, Allison Argo. Uh, she came out of the gate amazing. Like I think this this is one of my favorite interviews ever. Like I was so pumped. She like she was the the energy that lifted me out of my post Patreon um misery, malaise if you will. Um and, and you'll hear it. You'll hear in the beginning of the conversation. She said a couple of little beautiful things that really got me rolling and she was beautiful to talk to. Her film is her most recent film is called The Last Pig. Um, you'll hear us talk about that too. Uh, she's uh, been Emmy nominated. Uh, she's done films for National Geographic. It's uh, pretty amazing, and the, she's been on Broadway. You'll you'll hear all this. Um, I'm super excited. The bonus content you'll hear when she talks about uh, this farmer. The Last Pig is uh, a film she made about a pig farmer who realized he didn't feel morally okay with killing pigs. Um, it's his story. It's beautiful. It's a magnificent film. Um, so you'll hear all about it. So the bonus content is what you'll hear when she says, uh, when we talk about her process of making the film, she sort of alludes to the fact that it was a little challenging to get Bob, the farmer of the film to agree to do the film. 
Um, she talks about why in this week's bonus content, which will go up on Monday for uh, patrons. So that's it. If you like this always free podcast or the many other things I create, tell a friend, leave a review, like, subscribe, all of those things. And especially, I love your support at patreon.com slash Michael Heron, where you can get access to all kinds of cool stuff in exchange for as little as $2 a month. I'd love to connect with you there, and I'd love your help in covering the expenses for this always free podcast and the other content I create everywhere. There you go. That's the last talk about Patreon, probably till the end of the show. <laughs> so before we get to the interview with Allison Argo, I'd like to play a track for you. Um, this is by Matthew Deere. It's his latest album. It's from his latest album called Bunny. Um, Matthew is on Ghostly International, who uh, an independent electronic record label who make really great hoodies. I'm wearing one right now. Um, and this album is my... I am so excited about this album. I'm also excited that I get to see uh, Matthew Deere this Friday night at uh, National, ah, I can't remember the name of the place. Well, it's this Friday uh, with my friend Lily, who's been on the show. Uh, they are part of Collectively Free. So uh, this is a track from Matthew Deere's new album, Bunny. It's called Modafinil Blues. <laughs> Yeah. 
Joining me now on the podcast is Allison Argo, who's the director of a ton of films, including the one I saw most recently, The Last Pig. Thanks for joining me, Allison. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be with you. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I didn't know much about your work until I discovered this film. And um, yeah, so let's talk. Like, I just did a quick read of your Wikipedia page, and there's so much to cover. Like, (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that that sort of uh, jumped out at me was the fact that you grew up in a theater family, right? I did, yes. I was born into a little summer stock theater on Cape Cod. Um, Tiny little summer theater that the whole company would assemble and live on the property, on the premises, and I'd get kicked out. My sister and I would have to go sleep in a tent in the backyard half the time. And um, (laughs) so we were dragged on stage at the age of two and, and then, you know, started having speaking roles and that sort of thing. And I, you know, a lot of the work though was was building sets and taking them down because it was it was a show a week, if you can imagine that. So you're rehearsing, you know, in the day in the morning, and then you're building. You're rehearsing the next play in the morning, and then you're running lines and building sets for the next play in the afternoon, and then you do your performance. It was it was crazy, and I think it it kind of prepped me for the life of a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> And you you went on to do theater. I noticed that you have you've been on Broadway in like three different shows. Is that yes. am I remember that right? You've got it right. Yeah. So I I went into you know I, honestly I I had wanted to I was really concerned about the environment, the health of the environment way back then. Um, I remember mm. the first Earth Day, and I wanted to go into environmental sciences. And uh, the fa- our family had no money, and I did one year of college, and I just had no money. So I, I decided to go into what I knew best, which was acting, and, you know, was pretty passionate about it. But I think it was kind of a default thing. And, and so I worked really hard in, in New York. I moved to New York City with $100 in my back pocket and wow. I did, you know, the usual things of to make a, a money. I, I walked dogs. I found that waitressing was not my thing, but I cleaned apartments and walked dogs and, you know, did whatever I could. And then I started, um, I started actually making a living at acting. And so I continued to do that. And uh, but there was a piece of me that I think was really unfulfilled, and it's kind of like the better I did. So I moved from New York. I did, you're right. I did some plays on Broadway, which was really wonderful, and some television, lots of commercials and that sort of thing. And then I moved to L.A., which was the next obvious step. And I I get really good roles, you know, like lead roles in TV movies and that sort of thing. But I found that I was spending an awful lot of time in a motorhome or in the makeup trailer. And I didn't feel like I was really part of the organic whole of, of the, of the art experience or, or, you know, the creative experience. Yeah. Like I was a little tiny disconnected piece that was called onto the set every so often. And I just was very unfulfilled in many ways. Um, I guess creatively more than anything, and um, I started becoming, you know, really interested in gorillas, of all things, um, because there was a wonderful National Geographic special on gorillas, but also Diane Fossey was out doing her work in the wild, and we were learning so much about 
these amazing animals who were not the great horrible beasts that you know that, that humankind had been led to believe or or decided to believe and instead they were very gentle they're very social they live in large families and um and so because my then husband and I did a lot of traveling through our work, he was a cinematographer, we would go to zoos where whatever city or town we'd end up in. And I became really struck by the the inconsistency of care that we were giving to these poor captive gorillas, this whole population that lived, you know, among us. And um, and I, I guess the the real catalyst for me to jump behind the camera was when we met a gorilla in Tacoma, Washington. His name was Ivan, full-grown silverback gorilla, <clears throat> who was living in this really horrible little tacky shopping mall. And he was back behind the sporting goods, basically in a concrete box and a trailer. And he hadn't seen another gorilla for over 25 years. He hadn't touched the grass. He hadn't seen the sun. And it was, I, I was so horrified that that was perfectly legal and acceptable. And uh, he was just a shopping mall attraction in, in the U.S. And so that was it. I decided, you know, I've got to make a film about this to raise awareness. And I knew nothing about filmmaking except what I had sort of osmosed being on sets. And I, I didn't have any money, but... Aside from that, <laughs> it was great. So I, I don't. It took you know three and a half years. My marriage ended in the in, during during the time that time. But um, but Bob, my my then husband, and we were friends till the end. But um, he shot it, so that was good. And we, our best friend was a sound person, and so I ended up um, I ended up editing it and writing it because I couldn't afford to hire anybody to do that. And I ended up with something that was rather unique, apparently. And when word came down, you know, I was trying to sell it, and word came down to National Geographic that there's this kind of interesting film. And I, I remember I, I went to show it to them in D.C., and they made me an offer on the spot. They were like, well, we want this film. And wow. that, that was it. I mean, it's kind of a dream. So... There were dark, believe me, there were dark days, many of them, dark weeks and months where I was like, what the hell am I doing? I've spent all of the money that we have. I don't know what I'm doing. Are you supposed to write the narration first and then edit? Are you supposed to edit? and then? But, you know, I, I found my own voice and my own way of telling a story. And, and I think my days as a child in the theater really fed that. I think it influenced um, how I tell a story and... You know, I keep I just keep going back to Tennessee Williams. I think he was in many ways. Tennessee Williams and the book Black Beauty, I think, shaped me as much as anything. Um, my informed my art and inspired me. Um, so that's that's my my journey. And and when uh, it was called the Urban Gorilla and when it won lots of awards, um, geographic basically said, do you have anything else? And I said, oh, yes. <laughs> but also, <laughs> the the coolest part of the story, though, is that we were able to get Ivan out of that shopping mall as a result of the film. <gasps> wow. And uh. then, you know, that was, that, that was beyond my wildest dreams. And 
Um, so he was able to join other gorillas at Sioux Atlanta. It wasn't the wild, but it was the best state of the art, you know, naturalistic environment that, that there was at the time. And um, so he got to live the rest of his days, you know, in a much far better environment. And, and I learned that, wow, films are very powerful, potentially. Mm. And so I was just, you know, no turning back at that point. And that, that's amazing. Yeah. Sorry, I think I just cut you off. No, I was just going to say I never looked back um, towards acting. I, I just not even a, a, an atom in me misses, missed it or misses it. So I think I've, it took me a long time, you know, sort of a circuitous journey to, again, you know, find my voice and find my way of expressing what I believe in. But I'm so grateful, you know, every day I work my tail feathers off, but I work I work for something that I really am passionate about and believe in. And I, I do think I'm I'm helping non-humans by speaking out for them. I have so many things to ask about that. Like, I love hearing about your path because I, I, I'm so inspired by it because I sort of am in the middle of that world of like just creating my own sort of pathway to creating things and hearing that others <laughs> are doing that too. It's yeah. so inspiring to me. One of my questions though, you talked about dark times when making the urban gorilla mm. and, and these dark moments. Was there one, like, is there one that jumps out at you that just you at the time you thought that's it. Like this is a failure. It's not going to happen. Was there a time that that happened? Well, there were, there were a few usually, you know, late at night when I'm when I was trying to edit, and I would, you know, look around at all the all the footage around me, and, yeah. and think I don't even have a place to broadcast this. And then, and then I would do two things. I'd say, okay, even if you give it to public television and they show it at one in the morning, if one person sees it and is smarter and kinder as a result of it and better informed you've done something. And then I would also say, you know what? It's not about you. It's about the gorillas. So hmm. shut up and get to work. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. That's, that's, I mean, I still, to this day, I, you know, that, that's where I gain my strength is, is when I lose my way, I have to remind myself that it really has very little to do with me and that I'm, I have a higher purpose and so i need to get over myself and just do the work and show up and do my best yeah that <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna edit that little section out of this and just keep it on my phone so i can play it back <laughs> for it's not about you shut up and get to work <laughs> it's kind of perfect right like yes. i mean i uh, as as recently as yesterday i had one of these days like what this is you're an idiot why are you bothering with any of this mm. and and that i mean it's such a for me, it, it's a really sort of self-centered place in a way, you know, I'm, and, and it's good for me to remember like, no, this isn't, all of these things that I do are not about me. It's about this, this message I feel like people need to know. Yes, you're absolutely right. That beating up on yourself is very self-centered. You know, it's, it's, and I, you know, I have to remind myself all the time because it's, it's a very bad habit and it doesn't serve anybody or anything. Mm. It just sort of keeps you stuck. And, you know, maybe it's a, it also, you know, we're, I think, especially women, and, and depending on how you grew up, you know, we're not supposed to 
shine too brightly. You know, it's, it's, don't want too much. Don't expect too much. Oh, you don't really deserve that. You know, there's a sort of humility that's supposed to be attractive. And in fact, I, I think it's just that it's um, really contrary to creativity is to even think about that. I think it's it's best. Well, it's sort of like the actor who goes on stage and just is able to um, inhabit that character and and his or her ego ceases to exist. It's that character, you know, you just need to know. Oh, I sound like such this brilliant philosopher in every day. <laughs> I love it. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> now I'm in. See, now I have to say, I really don't know anything. I'm just. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing, right? That's taking us yes. like full circle. Yes. Yeah. Who do I think I am to be saying this thing that I actually really did learn? Yes, and that I truly believe in, but I don't have a right to say that. No, I do uh, think it's not about us. I do think it's about, um, oh, it, it, you know, it's about the fact that the sun rose this morning. How cool is that? Uh, how how lucky are we that the sun rose this morning and that there are birds outside on my bird feeder? Um, uh, so I'm trying to look at the positive and how lucky I, I am and those around me are. Uh, this conversation is so perfect for me. Like literally yesterday I was like all day long just dragging like my life is misery. And now I'm like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> things are okay. Like I'm alive, like things are, like the sun is shining. Same here in Brooklyn, things are looking pretty good. Yes, <laughs> we have, um, my, my other half has um, a, a niece and a nephew who both served in, in Iraq. Uh, mm. multiple times and actually had some injuries and that sort of thing but they they got married and they um you know they have kids they're raising the family they're struggling but they've got the greatest attitude because they always oh, every time they start to whine or whinge they're like first world problem because mm. <laughs> they've just seen so much and know how lucky how small our problems are compared to so many people around us yeah yeah it's that perspective it's, I mean, it sounds so corny, but it's also really true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I realized today I'm, I'm assuming that you're vegan and I don't want to put you on the spot, but is that coming to play in your whole yes. filmmaking? Okay. I've realized I, it's one of those questions. I'm like, so obviously you're vegan, but that isn't so obvious to people who care about um, certain species of animals. Yeah. Where did, were you, were you already vegan when you started working on the urban gorilla? Oh gosh, No. And that was uh, that was almost 30 years ago. I mean, and I do know that there are some people who've been vegan for almost that long, which is to me just phenomenal because it's become so much easier to be, you know, even vegetarian is easier than it was back then. Um, but certainly vegan being, you know, we've got choices now and you're not, uh, you know, looked at as a total freak um, by everybody. But um, I, so I've long been a, a vegetarian um, and it wasn't until I started working on the film, and I'm so embarrassed about this, but it's the truth. I, I guess I just turned a blind eye to, you know, the, the egg industry and the dairy industry. I just, maybe it was, you know, willing, willful blindness. I, I really don't know because I, I, well, I mean, that information is not made super accessible to us. I mean, it, it's 
it's sort of hidden. But yeah. but it, it's out there, especially for people like us who care. But it wasn't until I was, was out with Bob, the farmer, the main character, the only character in the film. Well, I shouldn't say the only character because there are the pigs and of there's course. his dog, Monk, who's a, a wonderful presence. But um, Bob and I would be out in the field, you know, waiting. And Joe, the wonderful cinematographer, was shooting and, you know, waiting for the light to be right or whatever. And Bob and I would just chat about this and that. And I'd say, yeah, I haven't given up eggs yet. I mean, I, I guess it's okay. And he said, well, what do you think happens to the male chicks? I was like, I don't know. And he said, they're ground up. And it was like, okay, that's it. That's, that's it. all it takes. Done with done with eggs. And then we talked about dairy as well. So he he actually transitioned from being a vegetarian to being a vegan at the same time, you know, during the course of making the film. So it's it's kind of cool. And he's still, we got to do a little tour together in um, Italy, thanks to a wonderful animal rights group over there. And uh, it was it was so much, it's so much fun traveling with fellow vegans. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got backup. You've got other people, you know, looking up. Um, I always call it mad cow or happy cow, but it's purple cow, right? Uh, yeah. No, wait. Uh, it's called happy cow. Oh, I happy think. cow. Okay. Yeah. I always call it you had it right. <laughs> but, you know, we're always looking. And boy, there's some great vegan restaurants around. Sadly, on Cape Cod, where I live, where I finally came back to where I was raised um, and love it here. But we are way behind in terms of vegan options on Cape Cod. The grocery stores, you know, carry carry them because they're large chains. But um, in terms of restaurants, it's it's so seafood centric. Mm. It's really, oh, I I need to just um, connect with fellow vegans on the Cape. Hello, if anybody's listening out there who lives on Cape Cod and who's vegan, please get in touch with me. Uh, I have a friend who lives. I think he lives on the Cape. Um, he's he has a blog called the Vegan Cable Guy. I was just, yeah, I'll, I know him. Oh, awesome! Nate is his name, right? Yeah, yeah. We're on a running team together, which is why I've been to Cape Cod because we used to do a run that started ended in Cape Cod. Oh, uh, all the things. <laughs> we mentioned a little bit about uh, the last pig, and I'd love to go back to it. And maybe for the sake of people who don't already know about the film, um, yeah. can you give a little rundown of what what it is? You bet. There's a a farmer. Um, well, let me let me put this in the past tense. Ten years ago, oh no, hang on. Four years ago, a friend of mine sent me an a, an email with a link in it and said, "Just curious if you've been if you've read anything that this farmer has written." And I clicked on the link and it was a blog that was called "Happy Pigs Make Happy Meat." And I read it and was just bull, totally bowled over. He was so articulate and so willing to be completely honest and imperfect, you know, in front of the world. And I was, it was basically, he was talking about having been a, a um, humane pig farmer for 10 years. And he he realized that his life was totally out of balance because he really didn't believe in hurting animals. I mean, he'd go to great length to save spiders or, you know, had become vegetarian. And how was he rationalizing, you know, killing these animals? And when he became vegetarian, he realized, oh, we don't need 
pork or, you know, we don't need eat to eat pig to survive. It's just it's just a taste bud thing. And um, so he was trying to he was just starting to realize all of all of this and trying to figure out how he could stop farming pigs after 10 years. I mean, that was his whole livelihood, his life. And so I contacted him and asked if I could film his transition. And I'll make a long story short, but he finally said, said yes. And, um, and so for eight months, we followed this extraordinary story of a man, a man's personal struggle to change his life so that he could live truly um, in harmony with his beliefs. And it was just an amazing process. We um, basically, we filmed, we would go to his farm, which is in upstate New York in Schoharie Valley. And we would shoot for one week every month for about nine months. And so we went through the whole transition of the of him trying to find sanctuaries. He could only find sanctuary for eight pigs. He didn't own the land. He leased it from neighbors. He couldn't afford to save the rest of the pigs or start a, a, a sanctuary because he doesn't have the skill set to do that. And and so as, as the struggle is ongoing, he's taking pigs every week to a so-called humane slaughterhouse. And and so it was really a very um, it's a it's a very personal, very, very quiet um, film that's that's just his his absolute honest personal story, which he shares very generously with us. And it, it's the film is in his own voice and he shares his struggles and it's it's just the film sets out not to tell anybody what they should think or feel or eat. It just invites people to think and go on his journey and ask, you know, I hope that the audience will be inspired to ask themselves the same questions that he asks himself during the course of the film. Like, what do I really believe? And am I living my life truly aligned with those beliefs? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really magnificent the film I, I appreciate the slow pace the slow quiet pace mm. i don't even i don't I, now that i say slow that doesn't feel like it matches it's definitely like a quiet pace and really hearing his perspective about other animals from his perspective as someone who is still in a position to be farming it's yeah. really fascinating i think it does make the the message Oh, that, that feels like a strange word to use there, but his his perspective more digestible for people who might still be using animals in some way. Right. Yes, because it, it doesn't. The, his story and the film don't in any way preach or proselytize. It really is just a sharing of of a story of a very real, very personal story. And I don't know if you noticed, but there there really is very little dialogue. In the film, there are great stretches where it's just the magnificent natural sound of the pigs out mm-hmm. in the field or the rain coming down. Or, And I think those open spaces allow the audience to just make it their own and 
it, fill in the gaps themselves. Um, again, it doesn't try. It, it, I really tried hard for it not to lead you. There's very little music in the film, for instance, because I think music can oftentimes sort of manipulate um, emotion. And so even the music that's in there is is quite, in many ways, rather otherworldly and neutral. Because I I felt it was important for um, the viewer to get to make it her or his own. I, I love the film. Uh, congratulations. It's Thank really you. fantastic. Um, I hate to do it, but we're running out of time for this part of the interview. And I want to make sure people know how they can see the film, which yes. I wonder how that is possible. And of course, where people can find you online. So I guess okay. we'll start, of course, with the film. Like where, where can people see it? Well, we are finishing up our um, festival run and we've done really well with 33 festivals to date. And we are um, also organizing grassroots um, art house cinema screenings, community screenings. And it, it's really wonderful if there are vegans listening who would like to organize a screening. We can help make it happen very easily. You just go to our website, which is thelastpig.com, and you'll see a you know drop-down menu that says screening. Um, we have been so lucky to have the support of a wonderful group called a nonprofit called Veg Fund. And so they are underwriting these screenings. They are able to give us um, the licensing fee, which is keeping my little office um, afloat. And then also they will give you uh, money for vegan food samples and for literature that you can share with people. So really you can turn a screening into an event and let let curious non-vegans come and see the film, talk to you, take you know, find out what Miyoko's butter that tastes better than you know, yes, dairy <laughs> butter. Um, so that's really cool, and I would love to encourage anybody who would like to do that. You know, you can do it in a church basement, you can um, do it in a community center, uh, colleges, schools, auditoriums. Um, Anything um, really works well. Yeah. Could I really quick speak to the ease of doing that? I didn't do it with The Last Pig yet, mm. um, but I did do a screening at my church in a basement of <laughs> Cowspiracy, and I applied for funding from Veg Fund, which absolutely helped. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, that sounds really hard, it's so not hard. So, and do it, do it, everyone. Sorry, I, d I just wanted to throw that in, like a little no. nudge for everyone. I'm glad that you did. That's great. And also, you know, so visit our website, which is thelastpig.com, and, and find us on Facebook, too. We, we would love to have you follow us and be part of the commun community there. And that is just The Last Pig on Facebook. Um, and, yeah. Was there another question? <laughs> um, yeah. where? Oh, I think you covered it. Where to find you online. And it's... Uh... Oh, say those. Let's just say the websites one more time, just to make sure. Okay. <laughs> dot com, and if you go to Facebook, just type in the Last Pig, and you'll find our Facebook page. But again, we'd love to have you be part of our our community, our team, and we right now we're distributing. I mean, you basically are distributing this film with us, and we will. Oh, can I just tell, say one thing really quickly? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I am so excited about this. Um, I have decided to create educational versions of the film. And so I have I'm in the process of, of making a, a cut, like a 20 minute cut for elementary school kids. Whoa. And 
one for middle school kids and one for high school and college students. And um, and I also have humane educators who are writing up the curriculum to accompany this. And I am so excited about this. So The Last Pig, you know, it will eventually go to streaming and the DVD will be available for sale. But I think this educational component is so important. And it it's the first time I've done this and I'm really super excited. Ah, uh, that's Fantastic news. Ah, oh, yeah, like this. Yes, this is a great, you know, I'll, and yeah, and I know I'm going to say it anyway. This is a great advocacy. It's really great way yeah. to share this perspective. Oh, I'm so excited about everything you're doing. Me too. <laughs> Yay. So um, if you didn't get enough of this interview and you want to hear from more from Allison, there will be a bonus interview on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Michael Heron, where we will talk about some more things. But in the meantime, thank you for joining me here, Allison. Thank you. My fellow Americans, the subject I want to discuss with you, peace and national security, is both timely and important. Timely because I've reached a decision which offers a new hope for our children in the 21st century. And important because there's a very big decision that you must make for yourselves. This subject involves the most basic duty that any president and any people share, the duty to protect and strengthen the peace. We can't afford to believe that we will never be threatened. No country. There's only corporate you and me. You go off to war. Do you know who you're fighting for? Leave me all alone to take care of these babies.
this threshold. I ask for your prayers and your support. Thank you. Good night. And God bless you. That's the latest single from Kirsten Marilyn. It's called No Country for Odd Men. Kirsten is a great friend, fierce advocate, activist, all the things, all the things that start with an A. <laughs> and uh, that's a great new single from her. She was on the podcast back on episode 260. If you'd like to know more about her, you can go back there. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, again, if you are a patron, look out on Wednesday uh, on both my website and on Patreon, there'll be a extra interview with Allison. I loved that interview so much. I was so pumped to do it. Um, thanks again, Allison. If you're listening, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, podcast listener, for listening. And I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>